Hello, and welcome to this live recording from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. So sit back, listen in, and enjoy what God's got to say to you. Well, the pyramids of Egypt are famous because they contained, or they contain the mummified bodies of ancient Egyptian kings. Westminster Abbey is noted because within its walls there are contained the remains of many nobles and notables. Muhammad's tomb is visited because of the stone coffin and the bones that are there. Arlington National Cemetery in Washington, D.C. is revered because it is the resting place of many outstanding Americans. But the garden tomb of Jesus is famous because it is empty. He is risen. He is risen. We live in a day and age where many want proof about this Jesus. Many want proof about their faith. Many want to feel and touch and try and make sense of who Jesus is and who God is. At the university where I'm lecturing, they say that faith and reason are like two wings of the same bird. But there are some things that we will never understand. In fact, I said on Friday that the Jews are looking for power, a liberator to come and set them free from Roman rule. And Greeks, the great philosophers apparently, are looking for wisdom. But how do you make sense of a body that dies and rises after three days as the person promised? In fact, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 that his mission from God was to preach the gospel, but not with words of wisdom, lest the cross be emptied of its power. And so when we try and make sense of this cross, and three days later, the empty tomb, it does not make sense because normally bodies die and stay in the grave. But here, as promised, a man dies and rises on the third day. He is risen. And so it's the power that is found in the irrationality or the silliness of the grave that makes absolute sense for you and for me. And so there is no airtight argument that I can present to you this morning, but I want to try and present to you somebody, the life-giving Holy Spirit that makes absolute sense if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the question I want to try and answer, what happens when you embrace the resurrection? What happens when you believe in the resurrection? Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 17, that if Christ has not been raised, then our faith is futile and we are still stuck in our sins. And that word futile in the Greek is the word mateos. It's kind of the very center of your eye, as it were, that is empty. Your faith is empty. What you've seen and understood and taken in is in vain and it's futile and it is empty. And so if Jesus did not rise from the dead, I suggest to you that we're in trouble. Islam and Judaism swear the resurrection of Jesus Christ never happened. Jehovah's Witnesses claim Jesus' physical body was discarded, destroyed or dissolved into gases. The Jesus seminar people laugh it off as mere wishful thinking. But if they are right, then we're in trouble. What if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead? If that's the case, there is no Christianity, no hope, 
no future. But if Christianity is factual, reliable, then Jesus' resurrection is the greatest feat in human history. There is no middle ground. So he, how can we know today what actually happened 2,000 years ago? Well, a couple of suggestions this morning. That there were witnesses. There were witnesses. The disciples were there. In Acts chapter 1, verse 3, you will read that he appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. And that word appeared, paristimi, he stood beside them. He exhibited himself to them. He was at their hand. Jesus appeared before them and they saw him, as it were. They saw him. It wasn't as if they were uh, seeing a, a, a feature or somebody who told them they, he, he was right there with them. Peter said uh, in Acts 2.32, God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of the fact. And you know that the word witness comes from the Greek word martyrion, which we get the English word martyr. They witnessed and were prepared to die for what they saw. They were martyred for what they saw. And so, disciples, Peter, and what about Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 to 6? He says that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day, and after that He appeared to more than 5,000 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. And that word that Paul uses for appeared is different to the one that, that Peter uses uh, in, in Acts. Because this one says, they gazed with wide open eyes. It's not as if uh, they were a little bit dazed. No, they gazed upon him with wide open eyes because they couldn't believe what they were seeing. It was the truth that they'd seen and they gazed upon him with wide open eyes. And, and Paul actually says that because there were people who were still alive that could actually testify to that. People who, who saw him but didn't necessarily believe in him. But they, Paul says that you could still, there were people still alive and you could follow up with those that had seen him but did not believe in him. That great theologian C.H. Dodd says there can hardly be any purpose in mentioning the fact that most of the 500 are still alive unless Paul is saying in effect that the witnesses are there to be questioned. So you could go and ask them. They would have seen him and gazed with him in amazement, but still some of them would not believe. Well, what's the result of all of this? What is the result? As I said earlier, uh, People were tortured. They faced horrible deaths. Uh, they were uh, a group of people called the disciples who shortly after Jesus had risen had turned the world upside down by preaching who Jesus Christ was. And so this great professor of Lord Harvard, Professor Simon Greenleaf says, if it were a law professor, I might add, if it were morally possible for them to have been deceived in this matter, even every human motive operated to lead them to discover and avow their error, if then their testimony was not true, there was no possible motive for this fabrication. There was no reason for them to die for what they believed, is what this law professor is saying. The evidence was there. 
A man who appears in court, in the courts of law, says the strongest case to defend him is the evidence that he was there in effect. And so Peter is one of those wonderful examples who, once afraid to stand up in public and say, yes, I'm a follower of Jesus, later on dies and says, I cannot be crucified like him. I cannot be martyred like him, my Savior. Rather crucify me upside down because I'm not worthy. One who said, no, I don't know this Jesus. And Jesus warned him about that. He said, before the cock crows, Peter, you'll deny me three times. Not me, Lord. I'm going all the way to the end with you. This man who denied Jesus believed because he saw him. He'd risen from the dead and died for his faith. James, we read, was a bondservant of the Lord Jesus Christ in James chapter 1, verse 1. The, the half-brother of Jesus by blood, and then actually gets crucified. He was the, the first leader of the church in Jerusalem, but in AD 62 is, is uh, crucified for his faith, uh, died as a martyr. Paul transformed, miraculously transformed, persecutor of that fantastic growing church, chief evangelist to the Gentiles. And the Bible says that he put his nose down, as it were, and followed where the Christians were to crucify them. Then all of a sudden he gets an interaction with God and changes. He's transformed, as it were. Metamorphosized is the word that's used. And so he's changed so much that he begins to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the result. But what is the impact of that resurrection. What's the impact? Well, in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 14 and 15, we read that if there was no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. If Christ is not risen, then, in our, then our preaching is vain. It's emptiness. It's null and void. The word that Paul uses, as I said earlier, it's kenos, it's empty. It's empty. We've wasted our time, and our faith is a waste of time. We've come here perhaps to, to celebrate in a little bit of coffee and Easter eggs if our faith is not real. But if it is real, then there is an impact. There is something that impacts you and me in April 2019. Why do we gather on Easter Sunday? Well, I think firstly because the resurrection is victory over sin. It's victory over sin. That great theologian St. Augustine said, God has made us into himself and our hearts are restless until they rest on God. In other words, there is a God-shaped vacuum in every single one of us that only God can fill. And we run around after material wealth and popularity and political fame and every other ism that there is in the world to try and find substance. But friends... There is that God-shaped vacuum that only God can fill. And the resurrection is the power that gives us a victory over sin. You see, we know that we will still commit sins. But the curse of sin has been done away with on the cross of Calvary on Good Friday. And the evidence of that is that Jesus rose from the dead. And you and I have that power within to say yes or no to sin. Yes or no to sin because of what he did. He destroyed the grave. And because of that, because of the resurrection, you and I have the presence of the Holy Spirit 
No wonder that great songwriter sang, and I won't sing it to you as well as Sylvia did, but the words let me say to you, at the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light, all the burdens of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith I received my sight, and now I am happy all the way. Why? Because the resurrection is victory over sin. I'm able to say no when temptation comes. And so the believer does not act by might or by power, but by the very present Holy Spirit. And any political leader or spiritual leader, no matter how powerful, will give in were it not for the presence of the Holy Spirit. You see, Muhammad, Buddha, and every other avatar and leader died but stayed in their grave. But Jesus, the only one recorded, died and promised that he will rise again and promised that promise came through. And he promised his present Holy Spirit for you and for me so we have the power and the victory over sin. But also, there is the gift of eternal life. The gift of eternal life. Paul said that in chapter 15, verses 16, to 18, for if the, if the dead rise not, then is not Christ not raised? For if Christ not be raised, your faith is in vain, you are yet in your sins. We are stuck in our sins if Christ had not risen. Then they also who have fallen asleep in Christ are perished. That word perished means they destroyed, they've wasted their time because all their sufferings, their faith in Him is all in vain. And so, had Jesus not resurrected, you and I would not be able to have eternal life. Friends, I don't know about you, but I still have some of my old nature within me. And I look forward to seeing two very special people in my life. My late father that died in 2002, and then my great brother-in-law that died of leukemia in 2012. I cannot wait to see them again. And can I suggest to you that if anybody has died and you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, we will be reunited. We will be reunited because we have the gift of eternal life. Not only will we see him face to face and be at the presence and the very feet of the Lord Jesus Christ, but we will see those that we loved if they believed in Jesus. Wow, what a bonus that is. We have the gift of eternal life, I might add to you. Not material wealth, not political freedom, not intellectual expertise. They will all be gone, but eternal life. And then finally, this daily victory through the resurrection power. This daily victory. Today, when I struggle, I can call on the name of Jesus. Because in Romans eight thirty-five to 37, you know that beautiful passage. Paul writes, and he says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Question mark. Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to the slaughter. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors. We are winners through him who loved us. We are more than conquerors. Why? Because of the resurrection power that's found in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're going through a hard time, 
Perhaps it's not hunger or financial issues or sickness or anything like that, but surely we go through hard time. But we can look forward to that daily victory that is found in the resurrection power of Jesus. And Paul says it and assures us of it, Romans 6.14, Sin shall not have dominion over the believer. The word dominion, kireo, which has got the root word where it's the word Lord, they, the sin will not rule over us because we cannot be separated. But because Christ rose from the dead, we have that victory through that resurrection power. Friends, if you don't believe in the resurrection, then might I be bold enough, and I know it's going to be offensive, but then you don't believe in the Word of God. Because the Word of God says that Jesus rose from the dead. And so, friends, if you're an atheist, it's sad in this day and age, and there's heaps and heaps of them. But the believer has new life that's found in the Lord Jesus Christ, in this resurrection power. We live in a very turbulent world. It's chaotic. And so we can find peace, and peace only in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that impact of the resurrection, if, we, if it didn't take place, then friends, then we have no salvation, then we have no victory over sin, and sadly, no eternal life. And for Christians, the resurrection is that outstanding event in history that allows us to put our faith and trust in Him. We're about to celebrate that. On Friday, we thanked God for the bread that symbolizes his, his torn body that was given for us. A body that, that was shred, if you like. And his blood that was poured out for the remission of our sins. But today, we celebrate that because one day we will see him face to face. And this is my little devotion through a story as we prepare for communion. It's called The Fork. There is a young woman who had been diagnosed with a terminal illness and had been given three months to live. So as she was getting her things in order, she contacted her pastor and had him come to her house to discuss certain aspects of her final wishes. She told him which songs she wanted sung at the service, what scriptures she would like to be read, and what outfit she wanted to be buried in. Everything was in order, and the pastor was preparing to leave when the young woman suddenly remembered something very important to her. There's one more thing, pastor, she said excitedly. What's that? came the pastor's reply. This is very important, the young woman continued. I want to be buried with a fork in my right hand. See what pastors have to go through? The pastor stood looking at the young woman, not knowing quite what to say. That surprises you, doesn't it? The young woman asked. Well, to be honest, I'm puzzled by the request, said the pastor. The young woman exclaimed, my grandmother once told me the story, and from there on, I have always done so. I have also always tried to pass along this message to those I love 
to those who are in need of encouragement. All my years of attending church socials and potluck dinners, I always remember that when the dishes of the main courses were being cleared, someone would inevitably lean over and say, keep your fork. It was my favorite part because I knew that something better was coming. Like velvety chocolate cake or deep dish apple pie. Something wonderful and with substance. So I wanted people to see that there in that casket with a fork in my hand, I want them to wonder, what's with a fork? Then I want you to tell them, keep your fork, but the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. And so the pastor tells a story, and all those who came and looked into that, that casket saw this lady, and they remembered with a fork, the best is yet to come. Friends, this morning we celebrate, the Bible says, until he comes, because the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. Let's pray together. On the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, we had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Same way, he took the cup, after he'd given thanks, he said, this is the, the cup of the new covenant in my blood, the fresh covenant, the covenant that sets people free and gives eternal life. Thank you, Jesus, for your body that was given for us. Thank you, Jesus, for your blood that was given for us. But Lord, this morning, Lord, we sit before you with a fork in our right hand, Lord, Longing for that day because the best is yet to come because of your empty grave. Thank you, Lord. The tomb is empty. You have risen, Lord, and we have that resurrection power every moment of the day. Lord, as this bread goes from mouth to mouth and the cup goes from mouth to mouth, we pray, Lord, that you will fill us afresh with your resurrection power. As we look forward, Lord, for the great day when you return or take us home. Thank you, Jesus, for all that you've done. In Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this message from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. If you'd like to talk to someone about what you've heard today, then you can contact the team at Mount Pleasant Baptist Church by calling the office during office hours on 9329 Thanks for joining us. We look forward to your company again soon. God bless.